Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, Martha. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Well, you're very welcome. I'm, uh, I'm honored and pleased to be here. Why don't you go ahead and give listeners a brief introduction, or as long of an introduction as you want, um, about yourself. Okay. Okay, thanks. Well, um, my name is Martha Gabler, and I'm the mother of a 22-year-old son with severe autism who is uh, nonverbal, and um, I'd never heard of behavior analysis or ABA or any of these things, and then when he was three years old and we found he had autism, I had to uh, get involved with that world. And um, many people who are in ABA at the present time, I, I can tell from talking that they don't have a good sense of what it was like only 18 years ago for parents like me who were suddenly thrust into this situation. There was really no understanding in the parent community of the science involved. And even among the professionals, there was very little understanding and the uh, internet was not what it is now. You know, it was just getting started. There were no search engines. You couldn't click on a link. There was no Facebook. So to do the research and find information about all of these things was very daunting. So there wasn't the information out there. There wasn't the way to access it. And the science was not percolating into the mindset of, well, certainly the parents, but also the teachers and the therapists who were working with kids with autism, not that everybody wasn't trying to do their best, but it just wasn't at the level where it should be and where it's starting to be at the present time. So I think there have been great changes. There's a lot more information. There's a lot of misinformation still, but um, that's what set me, that's uh, what the world was like when we got started. There was um, tremendous misinformation back then too. And um my son had very, very, very difficult behaviors as a child, uh, still does have some difficult behaviors, but of course it's much better, but he could never sleep, he moved all the time, he could never uh, speak or say anything, he couldn't do the simplest things, so it was 24 hours of watching and trying to take care of a kid who literally couldn't sit still. So it was exhausting and demoralizing, and of course we had no access to services. And um, at one point, my husband and I looked at each other, and we just realized we had to do this on our own. So I started searching and found out about ABA, had to figure it out for myself, eventually found out about verbal behavior therapy, found out about direct instruction, found out about precision teaching, and then finally landed up with a tag teach, teaching with acoustical guidance, and that... um, rediscovery of the wheel that whole process took about four years from the time my son was four till the time he was eight and then the process of figuring out how to put this all together and make it work for my son was about another four years so from the time he was eight till the time he was about 12 and um, they were uh, very difficult years and lonely years and lots of struggle but he did make progress And then by the time I finally sort of understood it all, by the time he was 12, well, then he made tremendous progress. And as a result, we had 
lovely teenage years. You know, many parents fear the teenage years, but our teenage years with our son were excellent. He was thriving. He was happy. He was doing well. So um, it was all very successful for us. When you say that you found ABA, I remember in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, for me, the first book that I read was Catherine Murray's Let Me Hear Your Voice. Yes. Um, it's Yeah, it's sort of a everyone gets inducted, uh, at least at that time, with that book. How did you go from finding about, you know, misinformation to behavior analysis, verbal behavior, direct instruction, precision teaching, and then kind of, you know, it seems in a lot of ways like narrowing it down further and further until you find Tag Teach. What was that journey like? What resources did you encounter? And thank you for reminding us, myself included, of the dial-up Internet days and the days before um, because, I mean, we're all on social media right now so much, and um, I think just how much that's changed our lives, and sometimes it's it's hard to comprehend even if you live through it. So, right. Um, yeah, could you talk to us about that? Well, basically, it was it was um, all sheer accident. Um, naturally, we were trying to find out information, and I just happened to stumble upon the fact that there was a an active group of autism parents in my community. So I started going to that group, and they had speakers come in, and that was basically my first introduction to it. And that was when I really began to learn that if I wanted to learn about autism and all of these things, I had to go to parents because I couldn't go to medical professionals to get this kind of information. Um, you know, we had some uh, experience with other therapists, but they, they didn't have the information I needed. And the information I desperately needed was how do I change his behavior? And nobody had any answers for that, and we had as I mentioned, 24 hours a day of very stressful, challenging behaviors. Um, so we started making progress right off the bat with Catherine Maurice's book. So I was encouraged, and then I found out about verbal behavior therapy with um, by attending some of Dr. Carbone's workshops. And by that time, I had a speech therapist who was also working uh, to earn her certification in um, her BCBA certification and was studying with the Carbone, uh, I guess he had workshops. I don't remember exactly the process for her. but uh, So we worked through that together. My son made progress. And then I asked her one day, um, how am I ever going to teach him to read? And she handed uh, 100 Easy Lessons to me, Dr. Siegfried Engelsman's book, Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. So then I found out about the direct instruction community. I fell into that. I started participating in that listserv, asked some questions, and then was uh, uh, met Richard McManus online. He's a big person in precision teaching, and he explained to me about precision teaching, and I got involved in that community. And then lo and behold, one day in the precision teaching listserv, there was this tiny reference in a footnote to Karen Pryor and her book and her work on training. That's all it said, Karen Pryor and her work on training. And so I looked at that and thought, hmm, training. My son sure could use some training. So I looked it up and I read Don't Shoot the Dog, and I knew I had my answer. And as soon as I read Don't Shoot the Dog and I got my tagger and I got my treats, our lives changed because I could really quickly and efficiently 
change my son's behaviors, and he has become uh, much more manageable. I mean, I, I had instant success. The first minute I had it in my hands, I had instant success. And once I figured all of that out, boy, we were on our way. And since then, of course, I've continued to learn more. And um, I thought, wow, this is so great. People have to know about it. And uh, the huge benefits of Tag Teach for me were, um, well, it works. It works dramatically. It's effective. I found it easy to do uh, personally because it was uh, something my uh, stressed and exhausted mind could cope with. You know, you look at him. If you like what he's doing, you press a button and you hand over a piece of candy. I mean, that was, you know, in those exhausted days, I thought, okay, I can do this. So, um, and then I got better behaviors. So once I had worked out a lot of problems, all the common problems that parents have with um, running away, not being able to walk anywhere, going to the grocery store, sleeping, all of those things, I was, our lives just improved. Our lives improved dramatically, and then I figured out how to use the tagger in, con- in conjunction with um, direct instruction programs and precision teaching, and whoa, he was learning, and he was happy because he was getting lots of reinforcement, and he knew he was making progress. So, And by that time, we were he was a teenager, so we were all happy. And it was, um, I guess, fortunate accident every time that I found out information or somebody kindly responded to an email or whatever. But, you um, became an analyst. Yeah, you took I'm, all the information and you had to synthesize it. I mean, yeah, yeah. This seems to be the trend, and I think that that's what we look for in, or that's what we see as common traits in a lot of the strong advocates, whether they're parents or providers in this field in particular, is that you know you get compelled, you are highly motivated, you you need to help your child, your you know, or for me, my clients, and we see the struggles or we live through them, and we're going to figure it out. And I think that motivation really matters. Now, we'll get into a little bit of the science, definitely more on Tag Teach, but you said something that I think is really interesting, too. You said you read a book about training a dog and thought, I can do this with my child. Now, that science can certainly be the same, but how were you able to make connections or did you experience any discomfort making a connection between, you know, training individuals who are working with animals and then thinking of that as it translated to your child? Well, actually, Don't Shoot the Dog is um, about more than just training dogs. I've got my copy right here. And um, it's it's about, uh, just if you look at the chapter headings, reinforcement, shaping, stimulus control, uh, reinforcement in the real world, clicker training and new technology. Um, Well, first of all, I know that the dog issue um, is very upsetting for many people, but I looked upon it differently because I thought if people are doing this with dogs, they're doing it because it works. So I took it as, oh, this has been tried experimented with and proven in the animal community. It's been proven it works. And with the uh, clicker, you can communicate with a nonverbal species. You can communicate with a completely different species. If you look at Ken Ramirez's work, he he communicates with butterflies. He uh, trained butterflies a couple of years ago. 
So when you look at these tremendous training achievements, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, my kid is at least as smart as a dog because the other thing I kind of haven't mentioned in the background was all the dire predictions about my son and how people who were supposed to be working with him literally just wrung their hands and shrugged their shoulders and just said there was not going to be any hope, that he'd never be able to dress himself and all of these things. And um, so it was a very depressing time for me. And I would look at this little guy and I could see how alert he was and I thought he's at least as smart as a dog. So that was what drove me. It was, um, you know, and then I thought, whoa, this is great. (laughs) You know, we're really going. So, and of course now, you know, having been around all of this a lot longer, I, I know exactly why. I mean, it's the same science, the same biology, and the, the same behavioral principles that determine, uh, that affect all, 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 behave, all living beings, all behavior of all living beings are, operate under these principles. So it's universal. It's across species. So we're tapping into this knowledge. It's still new knowledge, even though it came out in the 1940s. But for most people, it's it's still quite shocking. What? You mean you're not going to, you know, hit them or punish them or spank them or let them get away with stuff, you know? <laughs> so it's still very new and uh, difficult knowledge or information for a lot of people to absorb because we're unfortunately a very punishment-oriented society. I love the story of how um... – clicker training, how a lot of the science and applications that were popularized by the work that Karen Pryor was doing, when it made its natural, if you will, progression to the work that was being done by Beth Wheeler and Joan Orr and Teresa McKinnon and the things that they're doing with gymnasts. And I, I remember when I first encountered Tag Teach teaching with acoustical guidance, I was living in New England in Massachusetts, and that is where their dance studio um, had, uh, was or is located, and um, Dr. Julie Vargas, so Skinner's uh, Daughter, one of yeah. his, uh, yeah, I was going to say one of probably his most amazing accomplishments, um, right there. Yeah, um, you know, she was presenting on it, and um, the more I, I I saw a child who had a significant impact, had a diagnosis of of Down syndrome, who was laying on the floor, whose staff were very well intended, but were you know almost kind of either allowing her to stay there or physically carrying her or, or yeah. would risk dragging her in. And then we saw these brief demonstrations of like, you know, t- took a step, there was a click. And there wasn't an immediate um, primary reinforcer in this video. So it was like step, click, step, click, and then once inside or, you know, a few steps. So it had been obviously shaped up or chained together. But I thought that you can do that with just this little tool and then I started presenting um, or learning more about it and engaging with the community. And some of the concerns I would get would be things like, you know, you're training my child like a dog. And the way that I kind of responded to that was learning more about it and say, this is actually has been used to train Olympic gymnasts right. and deep sea fishermen and surgeons. So um, who wouldn't want their child to have, you know, that potential or anything in between and, so can you explain a little bit more about what does it look like to be implementing or give us like a behavior that you um, targeted or maybe your first or most successful experience, anything you'd like to share there? 
Oh, well, I've had a number of successful experiences. Um, I've talked on podcasts and meetings quite a bit about my very first time with the Tagger. I had just finished reading Karen Pryor's book. The Taggers had just arrived in the mail. I had chopped up my little candies, which, of course, I was very experienced at because, of course, with ABA, one of the first things you do is spend, you know, 15 minutes every morning setting out your treats. But um, So I had everything ready in my pocket, came downstairs. Uh, my boys, I have two sons, the and the younger one, Douglas, is the one with autism. All of us, we had to go somewhere, and all of a sudden Douglas erupted into a big tantrum. Of course, I had no idea why. And we had to be somewhere, and I thought, oh, dear, now what? You know, it's that dread that every autism parent has. Oh, great, temper tantrum, meltdown, and we have to get in the car. Now what? So I just thought, okay, I just read this book. I should know what to do, and I thought about it, and I thought, okay, what do I want? Well, I want him to stop screaming. So what does that look like? It looks like quiet mouth. I want him to stop running around. So what does that look like? It's both feet on the floor. I want him to stop, you know, hitting his head and flailing his arms. So what does that look like? I want arm hands down, you know, or, or arms down by side, that kind of thing. So I just stood back, didn't go near him. I didn't try to intervene with him. I didn't talk to him, and I just tagged and set down a tiny piece of candy. For every time he had one of those um, behaviors, quiet mouth, feet on the floor, or arms down. And in 12 minutes, he was sitting on the sofa with his hands folded. So the proof for you was in the pudding. Yeah. Um, I mean, I walked out out of the house on air because I thought, I just did this. I just did this. And it worked. Yeah. So when we think about the... You know, what I've learned about sort of the benefit of the acoustical marker or the sound, right, the click, yeah, is that it's immediate. So right. something that often happens when um, an ind- individual is tantruming or when somebody's, you know, let's say somebody's doing what, you know, what you expect of them or they're doing something you don't expect of them, they're actually doing a whole bunch of things at the same time, right? Yeah. Like they might be heading closer to the door, but they're throwing things along the way. Right, um, right. And so it is hard to jump in and say that. That's the discrete, exact, specific behavior. Right. How do you think or or how was it that – how did it enable you to communicate what you were doing without speaking to your son? Oh, well, that was really the great thing um, because my son – could not speak at all, nor could he endure listening to me talk. So I never had speech as an option, even for myself. So um, he figured it out. He just figured it out very quickly. I just watched carefully because I had read Karen's book, so I knew I had to observe and time the click with the moment, you know, the actual physical movement I wanted. And he figured it out very, just very quickly because despite, as you say, the multiple movements that were going on, because when he had both feet on the floor, he might also have been windmilling his arms, because I consistently tagged for just those three behaviors, he was able to f- figure it out. And I think that's because, well, in the case of my son, I mean, the kids with autism are so Uh, sensitive to their environments because we always talk about sensory overload with these kids and here the environment is suddenly giving them just one or two pieces information like oh feet down I get a treat 
oh, arms down, I get a treat. And he he figured it out without me teaching him or saying anything. He just, because he's so sensitive to when reinforcement is entering his experience. Because I think one of the things I've learned, or I, what I, I've observed, I think, over the years is that many kids with autism are kind of in a state of what I would call reinforcement deficit. They don't, they can't extract typical reinforcement from their environments like typically developing children. So they're kind of in a state of deficit. And when you start providing reinforcement, boy, they lock onto it. And if it's easy to understand, oh, they know exactly what to do. And they're so sensitive, finally, you know, something is in their environment that's positive, that's simple, they can figure it out, and it was uh, remarkably easy. You just said there when it's positive. So when we are looking to tag certain behaviors, is there the emphasis on the desired behavior? And what do you do with undesired behavioral occurrences? Well, if there's an undesired behavior, you do nothing. I'm, I guess I'm not quite understanding the question. No, I think that's exactly the answer, right? Yeah. I mean, you were just, you had just said it so simply with that, um, it's positive, right? So yeah. what we're looking for is the desired behavior. So he may be engaged, your son, other people, myself, in lots of different behaviors, but it's, oh, when this happens. So it's that whole adage of tell me what, you know, like yeah. show me and tell me what I should be doing, right, not exactly. what I shouldn't be doing. And I think yeah. that when we see that with any any individual, any child, I'm sure you saw this uh, you know, with your other son as well, when I say, hey, I need you to do X, and you know what it is I want you to do instead of here's a whole the things you can't do. It's yeah. a little bit clearer. It's prescriptive. It can help individuals know where those boundaries are and know how to contact reinforcement. And in, right. in the initial stages, or in this case, the reinforcer is an edible item um, right. or it's paired with a click and, be, and for your son, at least your initial you know, pieces of it were uh, edibles. But it's not always the case. And the idea is to, to fade the control to the sound of the click. Right. Um, how how did that process occur, or how did you as a parent um, navigate that, and um, sort of what's that like? Oh, you mean trying to change the reinforcer? Yes. Change, change, yeah. What, <laughs> oh, well, I never really had much success with that, Amanda, because um, when I was doing all of that, I mean, I was still so overwhelmed just with the whole autism thing in the beginning and the little edibles worked so very well for my son, and nothing else did, that I just took the easy route out and stuck with the edibles because he's really a candy hound. He's like his dad and my mother, you know, just insatiable almost with those things. And, well, um, personal preferences, too. So I think yeah. that that's interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, like I'm allergic to chocolate but love hard candy, but yeah. I would also – sometimes prefer conversations. So it's right. just, you know, again, when we think about those motivators um, and, and the idea behind an edible or behind primary reinforcers is that we all like them to some extent. Yeah. If you, and we, and we weren't taught to like them, that's, that's, that's what makes them primary yeah. and innate. Yeah. And that's where you take out that teaching, right? I mean, if I gave you a dollar bill for everything that you did correct, like that doesn't matter if that dollar bill doesn't access you the things that are, like you said, you know, we're deficient of or that our learners or children might be deficient of as far as access to reinforcers. Um, tell us a little bit about your book. You have a book, and you actually sent me a copy of that book, and 
I have to tell you, I was reading the foreword of your book on an airplane, and it was about the Sea Life Park connection with Karen Pryor. Yeah, she wrote that foreword. It's it's a beautiful foreword. It's a beautiful story by Karen Pryor, yeah. It was wonderful. And the interesting thing was is I didn't know about the connection with Karen and Tad prior to Sea Life Park Hawaii, and I live in Hawaii, and I was volunteering at Sea Life Park. Oh, wow. When I read your book, I was like, wait a second. (laughs) And I had a training like the next weekend, and they talked about this guy, um, you know, B.S. Skinner. And they said, oh, his daughter used to intern here. And I'm like, wait a second, or I'm putting it all together. And then I said, well, it couldn't have been Julie. And, they, and I said it out loud. And there was a training of like five people. So they looked at me and they were like, what? And I'm like, well, because she said she'd never been to Hawaii. And they're like, who's Julie? And they're like, wait, are you talking about B.S. Skinner? What? And I'm like, anyhow, that's a whole other story for some other day. But it ended up being that we ended up getting a tour behind the scenes, four hours with Julie Vargas when she came out here. Oh, my gosh. And it was really connected to the foreword in your book that you had sent. And it was just one of those interesting full circle (laughs) kinds of moments. So thank you for that. Uh, Other wonderful gems came from your book as well. And I shared with parents. I think, you know, it's, it's able to be received. Obviously, you are a parent. You went through that experience. You wrote from that perspective. But as a provider, I also found value to your book. How did you come to write that book? Well, I just basically thought that people should know about this because I thought it was so beneficial. And, of course, I was in the Tag Teach community, and people were solving uh, all kinds of problems with the Tag Teach approach, you know, break it down uh, very carefully. We have a whole procedure for that, for breaking it down to just a single muscle movement. It's all about capturing a behavior and then shaping it because within every behavior there's variability. So you look for the variability and you try to shape and shape the behavior to something that's closer to what you want. And you can start off with something completely unrelated to where you want to end up with. And we have a great example of that on uh, my blog. There's an article that was uh, basically prepared by uh, Shawnee Pogson. You're probably familiar with his name. He's uh, a dad in the United Kingdom, his daughter Tink, who is now about six years old. And his walking was, uh, she was not able to walk initially, but um, when she was two years old, she uh, had some problems and wouldn't feed herself any longer. She wouldn't pick up the food. She had sensory defensiveness. So he shaped her behavior, and the only behavior he had to start with, because she refused to touch anything, but she did like to stroke his eyebrows. So he tagged and reinforced her stroking of the eyebrows. Then he put his hand in front of his eyebrows, so she touched his hand. He moved his hand around, so she touched his hand in other places. He put a toy in his hand, so she touched the toy. Then he put food in his hand, and then she touched the food. I'm sorry, she touched the food. And then she was then willing to hold the food, and then she was willing to feed herself. So he went through this incredibly brilliant shaping procedure you know from a behavior a lot of people would not find useful or even annoying but he took that first little flash and and shaped it into something very functional and the story of that is in an article on my on my uh on the chaos to calm blog 
And that's, I think, so powerful about tag teach is even if the the child is nowhere near what you want to be doing, there's something else that that child is obviously doing, and you can capture those tiny little flashes and then just keep looking for the variability in those flashes, which we know is there because we're all programmed to be variable, and then just steer it with reinforcement in the way you want it to go. And... um, it's uh, it's just an amazing process. You can actually get from point A to point B in a very uh, unusual way. Unusual is something I think we're used to in our community. Yeah. And your website here is autismchaostocom.com. Yes. <laughs> All right, com, C-A-L-M dot com, C-O-M. That was yeah, that's a little confusing. tricky to say together. Yeah. Well, Martha, I appreciate your time today in expressing with us your interest in Tag Teach, your experiences as a parent, and sharing with us your resources. Before we get um, have you leave today, can you explain to us? You had mentioned, you know, just the titles of Karen's book. You know, oh yeah, stimulus control, reinforcement. We've talked we've talked about reinforcement pairing. Um, do you want to talk about any of the other sort of science behind the sound uh, today? Oh, well, yes. Um, In fact, talking about books and documents, if you uh, go back to um, B.F. Skinner's 1951 article in Scientific American on uh, training of animals, he specifically states that the conditioned reinforcer or or the, the behavior you want must be reinforced within a second. He says a delay of of more than a second degrades the learning trajectory and makes it slower and more sloppy for the learner to acquire a new behavior. And the only way to nail that behavior right at the exact moment the learner performs it is with an acoustical signal or a flashlight. But some quick, um, here, I'll click my tagger here so you can hear it. There we go. Some very quick thing that tells the learner, yes, that's it. So that's B.F. Skinner in 1951, and he describes exactly how to train animals using that exact precise method. And that's what he discovered that came out of his labs, that um, the more, you know, the closer the the tag is or the click with the desired behavior, the faster the animal learns. And the other thing that I think is important, certainly in the field of autism where we're talking so much about respecting the learner, is the the really great thing about tag teach is there's no kind of, prompting or kind of coercing or forcing a child to do something because you have this shaping and capturing alternative. You can just sit back and wait for the child to do something, tag it, tag that behavior, and then see what happens next. And you can capture all of these, I like to call them like beginning behaviors, you know, a behavior of, say, glancing at a toy, even if it's only for a flash, you know, oh, you know, she looked at the toy, let's, let's uh, tag that behavior and reinforce it. And the next time she might look at another toy or she might look at one toy and then the next toy. So you can build up skills from behaviors the child is doing of her own will. If she's already doing the behavior, it's her own free will. She has done it. Nobody has forced her or pushed her. She's comfortable doing it. She may only be comfortable doing it for a second but then you can build on that. So it's easy on the child because the child has already emitted the behavior. We're not trying to 
push the child in some way to perform. So it's the child's will. She's done it, and we can either reinforce it or not as as we think would be useful in whatever the circumstances are in that uh, with that child and her situation. Thank you for that beautiful description and for always connecting us back to the science and the center. <laughs> uh, that's you know, it's obviously it's an interest of what we're talking about, and I think. Um, just as people may be disconnected from what life was like 18 to 20 years ago for families in the profession, even when we're contacting the original resources, they become, they have new perspectives to us a decade later from maybe when right. we read them in our graduate school and we first encountered them in our, you know, journey. So right. it is great to, to re-reference and re-return to that information, even if we've read it before. So 1951 uh, in Scientific American, and I'll make sure that I, uh, post that as a resource for other okay. people who are listening. Yeah, yes, yeah. and it's um, called How to Teach Animals. How to Teach that Animals. One. Got it. I think, oh, yeah, or, anyway, I'll give it, I'll send it to you. But um, Okay, we'll make yeah. it available. It, yeah, yeah, and that was published in Scientific American. And then the article about um, the orthopedic surgeons using Tag Teach in their uh, surgical residency program, that came out in 2016. So, it took 65 years ago, 65 years from 1951 for that tag or click with animals to get into the human world as far as Scientific American is concerned. <laughs> so, wow, one that says something. <laughs> so if we want to work harder maybe at disseminating and at achieving that individual, meaningful, powerful change over and over and over and over again, which is going to make really passionate advocates for our science such as yourself. So, yeah. Martha, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can also go to www.behaviorbabe.com.